Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Welcome to the Mamas con Ganas podcast. That's mamas as in, hey mama, y te traemos episodios para que tengas las ganas de motivarte, surgir y triunfar. Don't be a mama con drama. Let's be mamas con ganas. I'm your host, Valentina Izara. On this episode of the Mamas Con Ganas podcast, I'm interviewing Jen Hemphill, accredited financial counselor, speaker, author, and host of the award-winning podcast, Her Dinero Matters. Welcome to the Mamas Con Ganas podcast, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation and just yes. hanging out with you today. I know, I know. I'm so excited. We both belong to the Latina Podcasters Network. We've been sort of following each other for a while now, and I love... As you know, women who love to financially empower other women. I love women that have conversations on money. I think that we don't have enough women like that. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. But before we start, you know, talking about your mission and everything that you do with your podcast and your community, please tell us where you're from, where you grew up and a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from Bogota, Colombia, and I also I'm another important part of my story. I'm a military spouse, so I married into the military, my husband's and the Air Force. We've got uh, two boys, and throughout that, I was trying to figure out how being in the military with the many moves, it's hard to have a career, but I knew I wanted to have a career, and I also wanted to have my cake and eat it too, meaning I wanted to have a career, but I wanted to be present for my kids. I did, you know, we knew we were going to have kids. I just didn't know what that would look like, uh, especially with so many moves. And uh, that's eventually, it just led me to uh, creating a business online. That's awesome. Now, have you always been in like the, the financial world? How did you get to doing what <laughs> you're you going to laugh? Is it specific? <laughs> no, it didn't even think about it. I always was into finances just because growing up, there was a lack of money. There was, I always grew up hearing, no tenemos dinero, we don't have money there. And so there was always, and there was a lot of tense, tense tension uh, amongst my parents when it came to money. So that was something that really interested me, but <laughs> I went to college to become a physical therapist. Well, no, actually, let me take a step back. Okay. I went to college with the intention of becoming a dentist. And my friend from Colombia, my childhood friend, we were both going to become dentists. She became a dentist. I didn't because once I started the biology classes and biology, they have the labs and I had to look through um, the telescopes and I couldn't find what they were telling me to find the little <laughs> cells and everything. I'm like, this is not for me. And then I also, it hit me that 
if I became a dentist, of course, I'm going to have to look in people's mouths. Not all mouths are created equal. And I'm so queasy. I get so queasy really easily. And I decided this is not for me. And then I decided I always been into working out and going to the gym. And I thought, well, physical therapy would be a good thing. And so I shifted gears with my major to prepare myself for physical therapy, graduated from college, got into undergraduate or not undergraduate, graduate school. <laughs> and I met my husband and I kind of forgot those that that you know that I was going to go in that direction of physical therapy because I was going to go to Colombia to study physical therapy there. But I met him, fell in love and all of that was forgotten about. So then how did you stumble upon like finances and how did you become like an accredited financial counselor? Like how did you stumble upon that world? Yeah. So years later when we got married and then, uh, was it in the first, I don't know how many moves. Um, my husband always knew I was into the finances. I, I was the one took taking care of the finances and just kind of, Hey, telling him, why are you spending money on the, you know, I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> taking charge of that. And as I told you earlier, I was looking for a way to have a career. So I did case management. I would do what I could and like what was available. But there was an opportunity at, at that time, because this was the early 2000s. So think about the early 2000s. The early 2000s, there was just the internet was just beginning. The There was no social media, <laughs> none of that. So there was no opportunities online to have, have a career or they were just starting to come about. So the military, one of the things that they do is they try to support spouses because they know we sacrifice. We sacrifice a heck of a lot it's following our spouses around and moving. And, you know, if we want to have a career, especially like those that are uh, teachers, they have to get Every single time they go to a new state, let's say they have to get recertified or re or the license or the teaching license. So it's like it's not an easy thing. And so one of the things that they were wanting to do or they were starting to do was like, how can we support our spouses? And so therefore, there was a, the FINRA Education Foundation they decided to have a fellowship. So the fellowship, basically a scholarship is called a, a military spouse fellowship where they you applied and if you were accepted, you were able to go through the program to become an accredited financial counselor. So my husband got that email, he sent it to me. I'm like, yes, this might be the way, you know? And yeah, that's what started it all. Now, tell us, for somebody who doesn't know, what is an accredited financial counselor? Like, what do you do? Yes. So an accredited financial counselor is not a financial planner, is not a financial advisor. Like financial planners, financial advisors, that term has been around for a very long time. And we 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 really think about financial planners about when it comes to investing, right? Investing for retirement and all those things. So a financial counselor is not that. A financial counselor basically helps you, guides you uh, in terms of just your um, budgeting, uh, your credit score, anything to do, but they can educate you or we can educate you in terms of like what investments are, but we can't tell you, hey, based on, the situation and your and your risk tolerance, you should invest in ABC funds. No, that's not what we do. We just provide guidance, 
counseling in terms of, and really helping a person make a decision. We don't tell you what to do, um, but we help you guide, we guide you as to what the options are based on your situation to help you make the best decision for you. I love that because it seems sort of like an introductory way to start taking the reins of your finances. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you help people get out of debt. And like you said, better their like credit score and actually even learning. Do you teach them how to budget? Because it's so important. Yes, right? Some people don't that's my, their... yeah, I love teaching budgeting wow. <laughs> and money management because budgeting is a part of money management because basically a budget is, is the plan. And what people, a lot of people don't do is that they may create a budget, but they don't follow up with that budget because they need to implement the plan. And to implement the plan, you need a system in place. And what does that look like for your household? It's going to be a little different uh, for everyone. I almost feel like what you teach should be an obligatory class in like <laughs> high school and then in college because it is so essential. And, you know, I think also it's less intimidating. Like first, before you even do investments, because you talk about investments, right? Financial planning, financial advisors. Before we can even start thinking about that, first we need to get our financials in line and we even need to like just have like a, like a structure, like a, Absolutely. a basic understanding of like where your money's being spent, what expenses are like not necessary so that you might have some room for savings. And I know that you discuss all of these subjects on your podcast, which I love. And it's so needed, particularly for, for women and Latina women, you know, because I always say on the podcast, there's no, you know, empowerment for women without financial empowerment. Right. Correct. Correct. And I started the podcast uh, back in 2015 under Her Money Matters. So it was just really focusing on just a professional woman, because at that time, there wasn't podcasts really talking money to women. There was financial podcasts. Absolutely. But they weren't talking to women. And, and it's different. You need to be able to connect. I mean, we perceive money a little different, right? We have a different perception and how we manage money. It's different. Uh, so I started with that. And then even though a lot, I brought a lot in my, of my culture being Colombiana and, and talking about my family and, and just naturally just came through, it hit me years later that why am I not serving Latinas? I need to be serving Latinas, especially with the gender or the wage gap being we're at the bottom of the ladder amongst all women. And so this was back in 2017, 2018, when I'm like, I need to shift gears <laughs> and really uh, serve Latinas. I didn't see podcasts that were uh, really talking to Latinas about finances. And so I decided to, to start that way. And yep. I love that because Good. there's nuances about our culture, particularly when it comes to money mindset that, uh, you know, there's a lot of scarcity mentality in our cultures. There's also a lot of pressure to spend a lot of money on like um, brands, brand names, something that I think is not as common. Maybe it's come become more common um, in the recent years because of social media, but our cultures have always had, I mean, I know from Venezuela that it was like a, it was like a pressure to sort of, you know, fit in the norm and buy the jeans that were this brand or buy the purse that, you know, kind of like show an image to the outside world so that people think of you in a certain way. So there are certain things that I think are, are really um, amazing. Like when you cater it to Latinas, it's like, yeah, we know you're talking to me. You're talking about the one who grew up. <laughs> and that's what's important because we may not pay attention 
and we may not be able to connect with someone who doesn't look like us, talk less, talk, talk like us. Well, please don't try to talk like me at that moment <laughs> <laughs> or just has similar shared experiences because that's what we connect to. Because how are we going to take guidance and advice from someone that really doesn't understand our situation, doesn't understand our, our lived experiences? So I thought that was really important. And I also wanted to just really showcase the phenomenal Latinas that we have in our community because darn it, there's this big old stereotype of who we are. And I know. There were so much more. Yes, <laughs> there were so, so much, much more. more. Yeah, we have, we, there is a huge stereotype about, you know, um, yeah, about everything with regards to everything. So it's great to see women like you that are showing a different facet because we know, you know, that there's amazing women that are entrepreneurs, that are financially successful, that are ambitious, that are, that are go-getters. And I love seeing that because a lot of times the media and movies, uh, like particularly, you know, for me as an actress, um, I used to get so frustrated because there were like, we would fit into this little stereotype and it's not who we are, like you say. Um, I, I wanted to say that one of the things that I love that you said right now previously was the fact that you are the one in your household, even before, you know, as the non-breadwinner, let's say, like your husband was a breadwinner, that you were the one to take financial reins and responsibility for the finances. Because I see that a lot of times the woman, when she's not in charge of her when she's not the breadwinner, sort of delegates the entire money aspect to the husband. But I think it is so important to be aware as a woman, even when you're not the breadwinner, to know where the money's going, what you're spending it at, because it's just, it like, it's, it makes you not be the daughter of your husband, but allows you to step into the partnership of your husband. And a lot of times when the other person is the breadwinner, like my husband, I'm also the person who does the, you know, the spreadsheets or whatever. They don't have time sometimes to see things that we have time to see and that you, that you can help like mutually help each other and work right. as a partnership. It is a partnership. And plus, I and that was the other thing when I first started this journey and with Her Money Matters was I saw women that really weren't involved in the uh, the management or, or any type of way, right? They were just like, okay, we have this money to do X, Y, and Z. But here's a deal. Like if God forbid the spouse passes, then you have to take over the finances and it's better to know and at least be aware. You don't have to do it all, right? But be aware of what's going on then not now. So, or in case of divorce, right? But you really have to be in tune of what's going on uh, with the finances and just, and be able to, um, to pick up where they left off. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's really, really important because in the case of, uh, someone, uh, a spouse passing, you want to be able to have, you don't want to be, a, have to mourn. And at the same time, try to figure out what's going on with the finances. Like, allow yourself to mourn, right? Versus trying to do all of those things because that's too much. So too much. I think you do have to be in the know. You don't have to do it all. But, but I do believe that both partners, they they do need to, they should have roles, right? That not one does it all. And those roles can be chosen based on really what they want to do or maybe their skills and, and really contribute to 
to the finances and the the management and to the goals and all that good stuff. Absolutely. I did an episode where we discussed like the three D's, the reason why you need to do it. You don't know if there's a death, like you said, a divorce. That was my case. I, I went through a divorce. That was my money wake up situation where it just basically like shook me into like, this is never going to happen again. And it was very painful, but it was also now I thank God that it happened so young because I was able to learn and then empower myself financially. And then the third one is disability. I mean, we just never know. And so it is so important to, to come together. And even if you're not the breadwinner, like really take a look at that. And I don't know what you think, but what do you, what your thought is, but when you, when you talk to your clients and when you have the women that you coach um, and your counseling, what do you think is their biggest blockage or money block to becoming financially sound? What do you think, what do you see as that one thing that always keeps coming back as to why they're not financially empowered? Confidence. It boils, it boils down to confidence and not believing that they could do it and not, or thinking, well, they messed up before. Who am I? Right. I don't know enough about finances to to make these decisions. It's all boils down to confidence. That's it. Wow. And the way to get financially confident is it's not that hard. It's not about sitting down and reading a book that teaches you for the A's to C's of personal finance. It's you just take baby steps. And the first step may be just really being aware of what you're spending. And once you're aware of what you're spending, you're going to be more confident or it's about talking to your partner about uh, finances. That's a scary part. But if you're able to talk about finances to your partner, that gives you confidence. And speaking of having conversations with your, your partner, it doesn't have to be about the bills. It doesn't have to be about the debt. It doesn't have to be about those things. It could be about some tip that you heard that you implemented or a book that you read, or a podcast episode like this one, maybe that, that you listen to, you can share those things and share like something, your aha moments or something that you took away from what you learned. So those conversations are important. Uh, so you just have to build your confidence and that confidence from, comes from taking some action. And that action doesn't have to be huge. It can be little things and, you know, just create those quick wins that that will boost your confidence. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it, you know, you kind of tie it back to fear. It's like when you're not confident, it's sort of like you're scared to see what you don't know, but but you're right. It's like you have to take that first step forward and then and just that sometimes because I realize a lot of people are even scared to see the numbers, you know? They don't feel confident because they know they have debt or they know that they're not being responsible, but it's like the last thing they want to see because they might feel like it might reinforce their um, inability in that in that capacity. But it's like we have to step into our discomfort. You know, like they say, like the cave that you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. I always think of that when mm -hmm. I'm scared to do something because a lot of times those things that we're afraid to look at, that we're afraid to even learn about, um, because of our lack of confidence or, or is, is exactly where we need to step in to step into our power. Absolutely. I love that. So what is your, like, if you were to give like one tip for like starting your journey into this world, what would it be? One tip is really to understand your expenses. And yes, it's great to track them, but really separate them into what are your fixed 
what are your variable and what are your occasional expenses? So really quick, what, I'm, what do I mean by that? Fixed expenses are those that don't change in the dollar amount. So your mortgage, uh, your car payment, if you have a car payment, a, a cable bill, those type of things. So those are fixed expenses and they come month to month. Then you have your variable expenses that are your groceries, your eating out, those type of things that come on a routine, on a routine basis, on like a monthly basis, but the dollar amount varies. Those are a little harder to plan. Like the fixed expenses, it's easy, right? To plan because you know day in and day out what you're gonna have to pay. And then there's those occasional expenses that come every three months or every six months or once a year, like gifts or travel or uh, maybe haircuts for some, right? <laughs> or clothing, maybe hair, maybe clothing for some. Some people may buy clothes every single month. I don't know, but it's going to vary from household to household what those expenses are. And why that's important is because it really influences your budget and your and your and what I mean by that, it influences how accurate your budget is. Because your budget, what I see a lot of people make a mistake on is that they put besides impl not implementing it is they put their fixed expenses, they put their variable and the occasional, they don't know what to do with the occasionals. As I mentioned earlier, it's, they, it comes once a year, it's every six months, clothing, gifts, travel. So it's important to plan for those, meaning figure out what they, how, what you spend on those occasional expenses throughout the year, divide that total by 12, set that money aside monthly, because then therefore when that money, when that expense comes, you know where it's going to come from. Because if you are in a fixed income and you're, let's say your income, just for example, six is $5,000. And out of that $5,000, your monthly expenses are 4,500. Let's just say, so that means you have $500 extra, right? And let's say in a month, um, in, in a month, let's say that you have $600 of occasional expenses. That means your normal $4,500 and you have $600, but your income is only $5,000. That means you have $100 that you have to figure out what, where are you going to get that from? So therefore, if you're planning and setting money aside, you don't have to scramble. You don't have to get into credit card debt. Uh, and so that's really important. And it makes the budget more accurate as well. Yeah, that's such good advice. It's true because a lot of people, like you say, they get to those months where like December, for example, when we spend on Christmas presents and then all of a sudden they end up putting everything in the credit card because they haven't allotted the money or they haven't divided it. Like you said, they haven't seen just how much money they spend on that and then divided it and like save up to that so that they're not scrounging around and 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 trying to figure out and getting into debt and then afterwards they're paying a percentage a big percentage sometimes in the interest rates of those credit cards yep and interest rates have gone up so a lot of people are suffering that have that are carrying credit card balances because they're carrying credit card balances because of the economy the interest rates rose so therefore it's even harder to get out of that debt absolutely jen by curiosity what was a, um, your money story when you were growing up? What was your money story growing up? And then what has it evolved to? Right. So my money grow money story growing up was more one of scarcity. One of there was, wasn't a lot of money. I always heard we, we can't afford it. We don't have the money. And so when uh, we came to the States, because we came to the States from Colombia when I was eight years old, and I think 
I'm more 90% sure we came to the States as a result of not not having enough money in Colombia because my dad, he's in America, but even though both my uh, parents are college educated, the first ones to go to college, they, uh, my dad had a hard time uh, with employment. So this was back in, I'm aging myself, in the 70s, early 80s, uh, late late 70s, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a young uh, Gen Xer. Anyways, so uh, with that, um, he there was a lot of trouble. He had a lot of trouble getting employment. So therefore, he had to pump gas. He had to uh, bake, you know, sell baked goods, do whatever. And so I think due to those reasons and not having enough money to sustain the family, they made the decision to come to the States and start over. Uh, but starting over is not easy, right? Starting over with nothing, my mom have, going back to school, it's not easy. So when I was, um, I was eight when we came to the state. So about 10 years old, I had continued hearing that, but I wanted to spend some money. And so I babysat because I was told we didn't have the money. So I was babysitting kids, even newborns at 10 years of age. I don't think people do that anymore. But they trusted me. I know, me too. It's so <laughs> funny. Now, it's like nobody trusts like even a 13, 14 year old. But I was the same way. I used to babysit three girls in the same household with a newborn. No, it's funny. Hilarious. Anyways, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so therefore, I knew I couldn't ask my parents, but I, I would find a way. Fast forward, though, to when I got married. Of course, my husband has a different upbringing uh, than myself. Fast forward to when we were married, 10 years into my mar our marriage, even though I was in charge of the household finances and we were in a better position financially than my parents were, 10 years into our marriage, we were still in debt. We were depleting our emergency funds. We were tapping into his 401k, which is called the TSP in the military. And we really hadn't moved the needle, right? We really, we weren't badly off, but for 10 years, I thought we would have, we would have been in a better financial position. And so when I started exploring that, I realized that it was my mindset. It was my mindset that we didn't have the money. I still carry that with me, which is another reason I do the podcast, which is one reason that I wrote my book is because I wanted to really educate people that Yes, financial education is about budgeting, is about investing, is about saving more and spending less, getting out of debt, doing all that. But the piece that is missing that is has a big, big impact is your money story and your upbringing. Because if you're still thinking we can't afford that years later, you're repeating the cycle. And that's not to say that you're going to go broke but you're not going to, you're going to go at a slower pace. It's kind of like uh, purchasing a home. So if you've purchased a home, one of the things that you look at is the foundation of the home. So if the if there's problems with the foundation of the home, you either don't buy it, or if you buy it, there's always going to be issues with the home. Is a home going to fall apart? Not necessarily. So your mindset and your money story is like the foundation of the home. If you don't understand it, if you don't aren't aware of it, and you, if you don't take uh, time to shift it and fix it, you're always going to have issues. So am I still, sometimes do I still battle that? Absolutely. Because it's something that you were brought up with, but I'm more aware and I'm able to shift how I think. Uh, but yes, I didn't know that for a long time. So once I realized that, 
things started to shift for us more or just more quickly. We got out of debt more quickly. We were able to save more, do all those things as a result of having that awareness and really and and working on shifting our mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think your story is very common amongst um, Mm -hmm. immigrants. I think it's very, very common. I mean, I think I've heard it a million times that that scarcity mindset, like you said, that feeling of, or it, it's either money's evil, people who have it are, you know, are evil, or it's kind of like a dirty topic, like sex almost. It's funny, but a lot of people don't talk about it. It's like, oh, no, you don't discuss that. In some households, it's like, no, 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 that's, that's as you know, particularly with children, a lot of times our parents don't talk about money openly. It's almost like, it's like sex. They don't talk about it mm-hmm. with you. And then you grow up and then all of a sudden you're supposed to know about it. And in this country, it's very easy to get into debt. And no matter how much money you make, I, I completely agree with you. Unless your foundation is strong, it doesn't matter what your income is. You can still be end up being in debt and owing, you know, and have a deficit rather than having uh, a net worth. Right. And think about those celebrities that have lots and lots of money or make, I shouldn't say have, make lots and lots of money, but they don't have anything to show for it. And that's because of something about their upbringing, something. And part of it is, you know, whoever manages their money, you know, there's, I mean, it's not just the money story, but a part of that is really, yeah, they don't have that awareness. Absolutely. And like athletes too, athletes are like a great example. How many athletes do we see? They make millions and millions of dollars. And you're like, man, if they were to have put that in a portfolio and like known what they were spending so that they could have had a really good lifestyle for the rest of their lives. And then all of a sudden you see, and they're completely broke after they've made millions and millions of dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Jen, tell everyone where they can listen to your amazing podcast and where they can um, follow you on social media. Yeah. So you can just search. If you just search on Google herding, it matters. You'll be able to find it but it's available on all podcasting platforms. You can connect with me at jenhemphill.com and you can find me on the different social media channels with Jen Hemphill. Yes, and I will also be putting all her links underneath mamasconganaspodcast.com forward slash 178. Again, that's mamasconganaspodcast.com forward slash 178 so that you can follow her and then and you can also join her community because I know you have a beautiful community of women that are all trying to let's say that are on the financial empowerment route um thank you so much for here for being oh, here gracias a ti. thank you so much for having me and for having this podcast and creating these wonderful conversations I appreciate it Amen. see you next week mamacitas ciao it's Valentina. Espero te gustó este episodio de nuestro podcast. If you liked it or if any of our content has inspired you in any way, I'd be ever so grateful if you showed some amorcito by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Every single review will help us reach more mamacitas so they can live their life con muchas ganas. It's because of you, our listeners, that we're able to create contenido para otras latinas. Un millón de gracias por suscribirte, escuchar y compartir nuestro podcast. Si tienen preguntas, comentarios y más, pueden visitar nuestra página web mamasconganas.com or follow us on social media at mamasconganas. You can also write me directly at info at mamasconganas.com. Hasta la próxima. Es Valentina recordándote, don't be a mama con drama. Mm-mm. Let's be mamas con ganas. Besitos. <laughs>